and welcome to the Unveiled Podcast. My name is Sandy, and I'm here with Susie, and we discuss all things related to women to help us think Christianly in every area of life. We both have a passion to bring gospel reform to womanhood, to families, and to all of life. I have a background in music and education, and Susie's training is in biblical counseling, theology, and ministry to women. We've been friends and have served together at our church for over 20 years. Well, today we are looking at Proverbs 31, uh, verses 18, 19, and 24, and this is what it says. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Well, if you've been listening for a while, uh, you're probably noticing that this woman never sleeps. <laughs> Seems like that, eh? I wow. Know. Uh, well, okay. I'm sure she sleeps. Uh, this is a proverb, so um, obviously a woman needs to sleep. And this woman, what we see from this verse is this woman will persevere and she will pour energy and attention into what is needed to get it done. This woman uh, chooses tasks and she completes them well. She spends her time on things that she knows are worthy of her time in exchange for eternal riches. She is refining her skills, not wasting her time on frivolous things. She perceives that she can make things of better quality than she can maybe buy them. She sees where she can get the best return for her money. This woman is known for her work. And I think we all know women like this. Susie, how would you encourage women to discover their God-given talents and abilities and to be discerning about investing time into projects that are beneficial to those around them? Awesome. Okay, great question. So before we get into that, though, I do want to just give a shout out to Tina Fair. Mm. She was the recipient of our free book giveaway from our last episode. So thank you, Tina, for listening. And I trust that that book will be a super big blessing to you. Back to our question uh, that you had just asked, Sandy, how do we become discerning about investing time into projects that are beneficial to others? I think that's a, a key word there, beneficial to others, because sometimes we get so caught up in doing things that we think would be beneficial without really considering what is actually beneficial for the people that God has entrusted to us. So the first thing we have to do is look around to see what the needs of the people are that God has entrusted to us. That means our husband, our friends, our co-workers, our children. We don't just do what we want or what is natural and easy, but rather think about their needs. I think a mistake that women often make is we love our husbands the way we want to be loved, but that doesn't work for our husbands. They, they have a desire to be respected. And until we figure that out, we'll often make mistakes and not really understand why they're not responding to us. So let's learn from them. Philippians 2, 3 to 4 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So think about what they need, not just what is natural to you or what you think they need. Really consider the people that you are trying to benefit. Secondly, I would say we have to acknowledge that we are different than other women and to rejoice in those differences. Let's not just try to become the next woman that we admire or that we see uh, 
is doing well in her family. We can learn from her, but let's recognize that our personality, our gifts, our circumstances are different. And so let's let's watch and observe, but also rejoice in the differences that God has given us. And that means, number three, we thrive in the gifts that we have been given. And so I think of you, Sandy, you are a beautiful and gifted worship leader. God has equipped you and gifted you to do this. And so I just encourage you to keep being a blessing. But I know that if I tried to be a worship leader, our church would suffer. That is not where I'm gifted or skilled. And so keep me off the stage when it's time to worship. Fourth, let's be encouragers. Most women struggle to assess themselves accurately. And so I think it's very beneficial to encourage one another, to affirm, and even sometimes to evaluate. This can be very helpful. I don't want to be a woman who needs the affirmation of others, but I do think that feedback is good, and it helps me to know when I do something that I really am gifted in. Uh, Because if there's silence, sometimes you wonder if you're actually gifted the way that you think you are. You don't want to be deceiving yourself or others, right? So it's interesting. I think sometimes we're too silent, maybe especially with the people that we're comfortable with or we know really well. We, We almost take for granted that they already know what their gifts are. But I think ongoing affirmation is beneficial. I was blessed this past weekend when I was up at a breakfast brunch where I was invited to speak at a church. And after I spoke, I got a lot of feedback. And that was helpful to me. Not that I need to feel good about myself, but it's like, oh, okay, like, okay, here's some benefits to other people. And maybe I'm not just assuming that I have a gift to teach, but that was affirmed. And I appreciated that. Number five, I think it's important to try new things. You asked how can we discover our gifts or our talents? It's by trying new things. If we just do the same thing over and over again, we'll be very limited in the things that we're able to to do. So let's get out of our comfort zone, Sandy. I know you've been talking about yeah. this and you've been impacted by that. And The reality is we all like to stay comfortable and do the things that we know, right? Maybe we have those three recipes that we know how to cook. So that's all we ever cook because we don't want to mess things up. Hey, get out of your comfort zone and try something new. Uh, And if you fail, it's okay. We all fail at times. But I think... um, I think it's important to get out of our comfort zones and try new things. I know for myself, I'm a very different person than I was 20 years ago. And Sandy, you often talk about, well, every time you introduce this podcast, you talk about how we've known each other for 20 years. And I know I was a much more shy person back then. And in order for me to be more of a people person, more of a welcoming person, I had to get out of my comfort zone. So if I can do it, so can everybody else. And then number six, We have to work on our weaknesses. That means we can't feel sorry for ourselves just because we didn't get the recognition we deserved. Because sometimes we didn't get the recognition because we didn't actually deserve it. And let's be honest enough to admit that. We we have to be able to be, be willing to say, okay, the reason I don't have friends is because I don't actually go and talk to people or I don't take time to be friends with them. So How do I expect to have a bunch of close friends if I'm not actually doing anything about it? I can't just expect other people to come to me. And having said that, I think we are actually going to do a series on friendship this summer. Uh, So let's work on our weaknesses. Or maybe if we're not getting the affirmation from our boss, 
Maybe it's because we have been lazy at work or we haven't been gaining new skills. And so we're just plateaued. So if we've plateaued at work and we're not getting recognition, let's not just blame our boss, but let's actually do something about it and learn some new skills. So work on your weaknesses. It's okay to admit that we have them. We all do. And then seventh, confess our sins. Maybe we've been wasting our time or we have been too complacent. Maybe we've been living in fear of trying new things or just waiting for other people to love on us rather than loving on them. Whatever the sin might be in this regard, let's be willing to confess it and then change. Great Susie list. I love the Susie lists. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I really like um, being an encourager because I think too part of that is uh, when you encourage, when you see something in somebody and you encourage them, maybe they don't see that in themselves even. Um, so yeah, definitely um, great advice. And I have am convicted to try a new recipe. <laughs> Yay! Okay, that's exciting. Okay, so by our I won't next tell, podcast, I won't tell my husband about that because I know he teases <laughs> oh you about goodness. that all the time. Until you know, oh. until you feel comfortable with it, I won't say anything. <laughs> all right, so I'm committing to trying a new recipe by the next time we record and uh okay I'll I look you forward to hearing that yeah I look forward to hearing about that <laughs> my husband cooks dinner by the way just so everybody knows he is the expert cook in our family but that's all right okay so part b to that first question is how can mothers or mentors help younger women hone their skills you know we hear of young men becoming apprentices quite often but could this be something that we should be more intentional about with our young women Yeah, I love that you have posed this question because in culture, I believe manhood has been dishonored, but so has womanhood. And one of the ways that womanhood has been dishonored is by silencing women to speak about the skills that really women should also have. It's interesting that it's culturally appropriate to expect a man to cut the grass, to change the oil, or to do other maintenance on the car or even home repairs. But Don't expect the woman to know how to cook or sew or clean. But rather, if she wants to, she should be able to. But don't expect it. I believe we have a cultural paradox when we believe that it's okay to have expectations for men, but we get defensive about having expectations for women. So yes, let's teach our daughters or our mentors or mentees to do some of these skills that are, are natural to having a home and raising children being hospitable. And we do that if there are children by giving them chores. If it's someone we're mentoring, maybe it's someone we invite into our home and do these things together. So let's let's teach women how to cook. Let's teach them how to sew. Let's teach them how to clean a house and uh, be okay with that. That doesn't mean that like in your situation, your husband loves cooking. He's really good at it. There's nothing wrong with that. But we should also be willing to try some new mm-hmm. recipes just like you are. So I'm really <laughs> proud of you, Sandy. And, and then the other thing I'm thinking about is Mother's Day and mothering. Even the whole idea of mothering is sometimes taboo. And we know that we just celebrated Mother's Day yesterday. And there's always some pushback against this. Actually, I just read two articles uh, about different agencies that are are pushing back and eliminating Mother's Day and even Father's Day to be more inclusive. And I thought, 
wow, this mm-hmm. is sad. That really bothered me because as much as I know that Mother's Day can be a very sensitive day, and I know that many people think about their blessings, maybe they're thinking about the good mom that they had, or they're being feeling blessed because they have been blessed with children. But on the other hand, it can be a very difficult day if you've just lost your mother, or maybe you've never had a mother that actually was nurturing towards you. Or maybe you haven't been able to have your own children. And so it's a very hurtful day. It's it's a hard day. And I acknowledge that. Like, I understand that that would be a hard day for you. But I think what we're seeing in society is not the, um, the, the um, desire to grieve with those who are grieving, but it's actually a desire to cancel motherhood, mm-hmm. to cancel parents and the authority that parents have and what the home should look like and how the home should be a place of educating and nurturing and training and discipleship. They're trying to take all that away. Mm-hmm. And so it really, really grieved me. And so we have to continue building our young woman up with the idea that mothering, being a mom, is a really good thing. And if you are able to, you should rejoice in that. And you should choose mothering over careers or anything else. And that's not to slam anyone or make anyone feel bad if they aren't able to. I know there's many godly women who are single and don't have the opportunity to be a mother or women who have struggled over and over again with a miscarriage or infertility. And we, we grieve with you. That's, those are sad things. But if you're able to, we should still choose to be mothers. And so let's honor the mothers in our lives I think it's very appropriate to celebrate Mother's Day, to have baby showers, or to do pregnancy announcements. These are ways that we can rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to uphold biblical values for women. And then we also want to weep with those who weep. And that means if you know of women who are mourning, let's send them flowers, let's send them cards or just be present for them. We we want to honor them as well, but let's not be afraid to also speak up and encourage the mothers in our lives. Absolutely. Family unit is definitely being attacked these days and in, in motherhood and womanhood and I think that is the reason why we're doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. So yep, that's great. Um Okay, so we see that this woman is driven, and she might even um, seem extreme uh, compared to the women around her. She understands what God has called her to do, but she doesn't work so hard that she takes the glory from God. How do we know when we're being called by God to do something for him versus people pleasing and just saying yes to every opportunity that might seem good? Mm-hmm. Good question. And I think there probably is a little bit of overlap, partly because it's not always fully clear, or at least not initially. And because the reality is, we all struggle with our own humanness. And there's times when, when even if we're desiring to do things for God's glory, our, our sin nature takes over and draws us into that people-pleasing mode. But I think some of the key aspects of of what it looks like to be called by God and even out of our comfort zones is, first of all, we're affirmed by God's people. When God's people say, I was blessed by you, I really learned from you, thank you for doing that. 
or even, hey, I see this gift in you. Would you be willing to get out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and, and do this? And then uh, secondly, when you do serve, there is spiritual fruit, and this fruit will last. Uh, it's not just void and empty after every time you serve or you, you help people. And then third, you will be tired from working for the glory of God. It is exhausting because we put energy into it. But at the same time, we'll be spiritually filled. We'll find joy and peace and um, in just contentment, knowing that God has been glorified. We will also know that we can't do it on our own strength. We'll, we'll, we won't look at our own skills and abilities and say, yeah, I'm really good at that. I know I can do it. But rather we'll say, you know what? I, I don't feel equipped, but mm-hmm. I see God opening doors. I see God pushing me towards that. He's urging us on. Maybe I even feel a little bit of favor on him for this. So I'm going to do it despite my inadequacy. And then uh, we also, I think it's very important that we also take time, once again, to encourage others, not just compete. So if you are doing something that is similar to what another woman does, whether it's serving behind the scenes or mentoring or worship leading or teaching, let's not feel competitive towards the other girl that also does that well but rather let's encourage her when she does do well it's not about me it's about encouraging others for the glory of God so let's not be intimidated by someone else who can do things like us and maybe even a bit better and then I think there's also we have to acknowledge that there are seasons of barrenness and it doesn't always mean that we're not doing it for God's glory in these times of barrenness, it's appropriate to reevaluate. We should ask ourselves, should we be doing things differently? Uh, should we persevere? Or should I get some outside counts? Maybe they can give me some input. Should we stop doing this and do something different? Or is there some sin in my life that I need to deal with? And those are all questions we should ask, but we can't just assume that barrenness equals that we're not doing it for God's glory. And of course, we have to be prayerful. We're not doing it in our own strength, but by God's grace, we have to be willing to get feedback and be willing to value it and learn from it. Because some of the feedback we get will be encouraging and some of it will be evaluation might be some criticism. So let's learn from that. And then give a God all the glory instead of saying, yeah, I know I'm really good, right? No, give God the glory for any gifts and talents and abilities and fruit that he gives us. That would be the opposite of being a people pleaser. A people pleaser would be one who takes their own initiative. They do it uh, because they want to. They ask to do certain things rather than having people affirm them. And they might have no or little lasting fruit. So they keep doing things and they wonder why it's not being effective. They are tired and stressed and feeling empty all the time over and over again. And then they trust in their own skills. They know that they are good communicators or good singers. And they credit themselves for it. And then, of course, they're working independently. They don't work together with a team. They don't work together in dependence on God. No, it's all about them. And they might be people who are quick to slander or ridicule or criticize others because they don't want others to look better than them. So instead of encouraging they do these other things because they're feeling competitive towards that woman that is also good at serving the Lord. And then, of course, their life will be prayerless. 
they will be offended by feedback and maybe even give up rather than saying, hey, maybe I need to take this into consideration and learn from it. And then, of course, their desire will be for personal glory rather than bringing God the glory. Hmm. That's great. I think we do need to check our motives, right, Mm -hmm. and and, and, um, make sure that we are doing what we do for God's glory and not for our own. Um, So we see in this verse that her lamp doesn't go out at night. And we see so many times in God's word the illustration of a light or a lamp. And we see in 1 Peter 2.9 that as believers, we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we're also reminded of the candle or the lamp of the virgins, always ready for the return of the groom. Uh, This lamp is an example of her commitment to serving God, to serving her family, that her riches are found in heaven. Her light keeps going, um, and it strengthens her, her her faith. Um, The Bible warns us of the foolishness of letting our lamp run out of oil, of falling asleep spiritually and letting our guard down. And Susie, I think the past three years have been a major wake-up call to so many believers, I know it has been to me, of the dangers of being a comfortable Christian. Um, Becoming vulnerable really drives us to rely on God and trusting him. My husband recently said that he doesn't want to become comfortable in his faith again. Um, Do you have some wise words to the women listening of how we can avoid falling back into complacent living as maybe restrictions are over and and people are, are moving on now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So really, we have to replace our complacent living with profitable living, mm-hmm. right? Just like this woman, this Proverbs 31 woman, she is profitable. Uh, the first thing I'd say is come to our Rise Up conference. We are uh, going to be meeting May 26th and 27th. This is going to be a great conference. We got our name for this conference from Isaiah 32, 9 to 13 that says, Rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech. In little more than a year, you will shudder, you will com- you complacent women. For the grape harvest fails, the fruit harvest ha- will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Shudder, you complacent ones. Strip and make yourselves bare and tie sackcloth around your waist. Beat your breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine, for the soil of my people growing up in thorns and briars. Yes, for all the joyous houses in the exultant city. You see, this is a call out of complacency. It's a warning of what happens when we are complacent. And we had that warning. We had that little bit of a glimpse of what happens with complacent living over the last three years. Let's not fall back to it. And so in all honesty, I I did tease about coming to our conference. It's not about the conference. But the reality is at our conference, we do talk about uncomfortable things. We, We talk about not being too comfortable. When, I, when we are preparing for the conference, I, I have to ask myself, am I willing to lose friends if it means speaking truth, hard truth? And I have to be willing. I don't want to, but we have to be able to and willing to train women to speak the truth rather than falling for the lies. There's so many lies in our world. And so the restrictions might be over, even though maybe mostly, even though there's still some people that can't work in certain areas because they don't have the vaccine or whatever it might be. So I wouldn't say that the restrictions are completely over. And of course, I I saw the Liberal Party put out a notice that if 
Uh, they get reelected. They're going to once again have mandatory vaccines for certain situations. They're going to have proof of vaccination. They're going to bring that back. I'm thinking, what in the world? Like, that's so far behind us. But once again, it's just a reminder that it's not over yet. Like, mm-hmm. don't go back to complacency and comfort. Please don't. Uh, COVID exposed all sorts of things, but it's not over yet as much as we might like to think it is. And even if the virus was over and just all the stuff that went along with that, COVID exposed a darkness. And if we really want to be living as kingdom builders, we have to be willing to educate ourselves, strengthen ourselves uh, in ways where we're willing to talk about the gender issue, about abortion, about CRT, about medical ethics, about our work, about our womanhood, according to the Bible and not to culture. And so having said that, as much as it's not about the conference, I am going to give away five free tickets to women who are listening to this podcast. It's not a giveaway for women who have already registered. I'm not giving a refund. But if you have not yet registered for the conference, but because of this conference, you want to go send me an email by Wednesday, May 17th, 2023. And the first five women to send me this email will get a promo code for a free ticket. You will only have a short time to register. Registrations have to be done by May 19th at 3 p.m. So listen up, get on it right away, send me an email. It's Susie at harvestwindsor.ca, all lowercase. Susie is S-U-S-I-E. And send me an email and I'd love to send you a promo code. First five women. And so once again, I think I've said this now three times, but it's not about the conference. (laughs) But what it is about is the fact that we are willing to talk about current things. And that means if you can't come to the conference, still get connected with other women who speak biblical truth into a world filled with lies. Uh, A world that lives lies and promotes lies in increasing ways. If If you don't, if you don't get together with other biblical women you will so easily be led astray and lured back into complacency or uh, maybe uh, being too willing to compromise. And I just encourage you not to do that. Find people who are willing to stretch you. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they say, but they should be biblical and they should be willing to stretch you. And I'm just going to say that Laura Clausen from Choice for Two is that person for me. She's super controversial. She exposes the darkness of lies that most people are not willing to talk about when it comes to abortion and many related things like IVF and birth control. And we as a church had her come to a conference. It was called Lift the Curse several years ago now. And I was super convicted that I didn't talk about abortion. It's not that I wasn't against it, but did people actually know? Because I never really talked about it. I think partly because I thought, well, in the church, everybody knows I'm against it. and Isn't everybody else? And as far as anybody outside the church, how much opportunity do I have to talk to them? And they're not going to change their mind anyway. But I was super convicted. And so I... Uh, started just resharing some of her posts. And it's been interesting that my reputation has already changed by the very little that I have done. I now have a reputation for being pro-life. And I didn't become pro-life because of Laura, but did people know that I was pro-life? I hope they would have assumed 
But did they? I don't know. And so I, I'm going to say, like, she, she does say some very tough things. And I may not say everything exactly as she does or uh, maybe say it in the same manner as she does. But what I appreciate about her is that she's very willing, unapologetically, call abortion murder. And I find it so sad that there's some pro-life people who would say they're pro-life, but they wouldn't actually be willing to call abortion murder because they think that's too harsh. And I think babies are being torn apart. We have to be willing to say the tough stuff. And so Laura challenged me to be more bold. And I'm very thankful for that. And of course, there's a lot of other cultural issues that we should be familiar with and be willing to speak up for. So let's get together with people who are willing to talk about it from a biblical perspective. And I also wanted to say that as women, we can be very influential in the lives of others. And especially our husbands, this means that we have to be willing to give up some of our comforts. And You know, I'm sure there's many examples, but the one example I thought about, because Sandy, in all honesty, you're a good example of this, is if your husband is on the brink of losing his job because he is not willing to compromise, we as their wives should never encourage them to compromise for the sake of keeping their job and I know Sandy you did that your husband lost his job because of the status of not wanting to give up his vaccine uh, information and he lost his job because of that you could have been the wife that said oh but we need the money you know you know maybe just take the risk and we'll just pray for the best you know what Don't compromise. If you have a conviction, if you believe that you need to do what's right, then encourage your husband to do what's right. And you might be that strength to him that he needs Mm -hmm. to make the right decision. But if he sees his wife buckling, he's going to have an incredible desire because that's part of his manhood to provide for his family. So if he sees his wife resisting, it's going to be very hard for him to stand up. So you can be his helpmate by actually helping him to choose righteousness Mm -hmm. and conviction over the paycheck and that's huge that's a huge sacrifice it's it's scary but that's one way we can step out of our comfort zone to be willing to give up our comfort for the sake of righteousness Mm, absolutely and have that resolve and um i mean i can testify that the blessing that has come out of that has been immeasurable actually Mm -hmm. yeah and you know what i'm just thinking here of other women there's pretty much any role that we have in the public sector is going to ask us to compromise. Mm -hmm. The way they're forcing um, the gender thing down our throats, forcing us to try and agree with CRT. And like, I'm sure there's so many things that are being encouraged. If you're working in the public sector with people of any sorts, you're going to be in a position where you have to choose if you're going to do what's right or you're going to compromise and that might mean not getting a pay raise or even losing your own job and as women I encourage you to do the right thing Mm -hmm. and and know your line Mm, right mm -hmm. know it before it comes that's good that's a good point yeah um you know many of us who who did resist the mandates and restrictions who went to church when it was deemed illegal to do so, um, 
ended up fracturing relationships that we never thought could be damaged with family, with friends, you know, like you said, with jobs. Of all the believers that I know who refuse to go along with the pandemic narrative, almost all of them have paid a relational price within their own family. So this is a big question. <laughs> how, do we, how do we move forward from this? Um, and where, where do we even start? Yeah, it is a big question, and I know it's a huge um, difficulty for many families. And so first of all, I think we all know that we are to be kind and compassionate. We are to be a light, and we are to put off all bitterness. We know we're supposed to do that, but what does that look like practically? As I was thinking about this, the story of Joseph in Genesis um, came to mind very quickly. And we know that Joseph was hated by his brothers because their father loved Joseph more than them. They hated him even more when he shared his dreams with them and questioned whether Joseph would one day rule over them. And so when they had the opportunity, they got rid of him. Thankfully, the one brother rescued him from death and had him thrown into a pit uh, instead of killing him right there. And then another brother, Judah, decided to sell him to the Midianites, who then brought him to Egypt as a slave. But imagine that. Imagine the rejection Joseph faced and the hatred he faced from his brothers to the point of being sold as a slave. And what we know about Joseph is that his trials didn't end there. When he was in Egypt, he was highly esteemed by Pharaoh, but then Pharaoh's wife seduced him. And when Joseph stood firm and wouldn't give in, she falsely accused him, and this ended up sending him to prison. This, this is just like one thing after another. And then he was in prison, and he was being a blessing in prison to the other inmates. And one of the prisoners, when... He was going to be released. He said he would give in a good word to Pharaoh about Joseph. But guess what? When the time came, this prisoner that was released forgot about Joseph. So here we see Joseph. He was hated by his brothers. He was abandoned and forgotten. He faced temptation and slander, lies. And I think many families can relate to that, whether it's from family or friends or maybe employers or coworkers. We can relate to those things, and it's hard. But as we look to the life of Joseph, we see that in the end, the brothers did get into a situation where they needed Joseph. They had to go to Egypt and look for food. And even though they didn't recognize Joseph, Joseph recognized them. And I must say, I don't fully understand Joseph's response to them. Uh, he didn't immediately reveal himself. He did put them to the test. I think he was trying to figure out where they were at and and how much and at what point he was able to trust them enough to reveal himself. But through it all, I would say he was generous and he provided for them and that saved their life. After the father died, we see that these brothers are still deceivers. Genesis 50 verses 15 to 21 says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept 
when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And so we see here the brothers, first of all, they're lying about what the father had said. The father never told them to tell Joseph to forgive them. And they kind of use it as a, it seems a bit of a, a fake or at least a minimal confession to Joseph. And yet Joseph assures them that he's not going to be vengeful towards them. He assures them that he's not going to try and take the place of God And what he declares, I think, is so profound. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And then he provided for them. He comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. This is mind boggling. And in many ways, I feel like this is really, we we could say the same thing. We too, with the, the perspective that we have now looking back, we can say you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Didn't we all think COVID was really evil and all the restrictions that went with it and the extreme responses, they were evil and they often felt very personal, especially when friends or family or even churches started speaking slanderous things about us. Like that was personal. It felt very much an attack against me personally. And I know you would have felt the same way. But just like Joseph, now we have that perspective of looking back and seeing that all the things that God did through this. Sandy, I know that just like me, you have seen countless examples of people coming to our church. People who would never have considered coming to church or following Jesus even five years ago. And so at this point, we too should be willing to say, even if it's just in our own heart, we might not say it directly to the people, but you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And we can boldly proclaim that we have seen the good. We have seen so many lives saved. We've seen people find hope. We've seen them find forgiveness and healing and restoration, help over their addictions. And we've seen people know Jesus as their savior and this is so awesome and so I think we have to choose to dwell on the good rather than the personal betrayal that we have felt that's the overall perspective but I'd also like to talk about when we can't get over that betrayal maybe it feels so dark and so deep and we we ask like what does our relationship with them actually look like after all of this Well, I think Romans 12 is also a good indicator. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I think we need to continue to try and live peaceably with the people that offended us and betrayed us. And we do this not to be peacemakers, but we do this for the sake of the gospel. So that even if they're not ready yet, if they see that we continue to have a relationship with them and we are trying to restore things, maybe there will be a day that we can share the actual gospel with them and lead them back to truth 
because they are beginning to trust us and see that there is integrity in our lives and that there is a reason why we do the things that we do and believe the things that we believe. And then if they repent, we need to forgive them 100% fully and immediately. If they don't repent, I think we still have to choose to be willing to grant forgiveness when they do. So we choose right now to put off bitterness and any desire for personal vengeance. And then we treat them with kindness for the sake of the gospel. And as we have opportunity, we we should call them to repentance. I personally think we are called to extend super grace. It's um, especially if it's merely a personal offense and as hurtful as it may have been, because I know there is many people who are like deeply hurt. I think as much as possible, we are called to overlook it. Uh, Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. And I would put personally put that following things in this category, uh, I would say not being able to come over to their home without a mask on. I would say not being able to visit them during lockdowns. I would say not asking if they're, if they didn't ask you how you're doing, if your husband was fined or lost his job, and both of you are in that, both of us are in that situation, right? My husband was fined, your husband lost his job. And it was a little bit offensive when people didn't even ask us how we were doing or how things were going, if our family was okay. So those are all offensive, hurtful things. And I think my personal opinion is that we should overlook those, even if they were wrong. And I will say, I know my natural tendency leans towards grace and I can probably more easily overlook an offense than some people. Um, So my tendency is to overlook and I encourage other people to overlook. I will say it's a personal opinion and I think there is some freedom for a different response. Uh, But that's where I'm coming from. At the same time, I do believe that some relationships may have to be altered since trust can only be restored with changed behavior. And so that means if people continue to live a lie and believe a lie, we can't actually fully trust them because we know that their worldview is different than ours and we have to take that into consideration. And they have a different authority. Their authority does not come from God. And that means we aren't going to share everything with them. It means that we won't be going to them for counsel or advice and They're not going to be the ones that we get our primary teaching from or that we go to for partnership in ministry or work-related endeavors. But I think we can choose to be kind to them. We should continue to pray for them and speak truth into their lives. And because if because of that, they choose to abandon us, so be it. But I think and encourage us to pour out the love. Um. And then there might be some situations where relationships do need to be ended when Christians have openly slandered us and refused to repent. Uh, There might be a reason to cut these off, but even if we cut them off, we have to guard our hearts so that we don't stay bitter towards them. And we have to be willing that if they do repent, we would be willing to forgive them. We put off all bitterness in the desire for personal vengeance as we wait for this day. And so I, I think this topic of repentance and forgiveness is another really big one. And maybe we should do a series on this as well. Sounds so good. we'll do friendship and forgiveness awesome. this yep. summer. 
Um, so for now, as we continue to process our pain, one of the best ways to overcome pain is to talk about it. And that means, first of all, we talk to God through prayer. Maybe journaling will help. And then if possible, let's talk to the person who hurt us and see if there is a way of reconciliation. But if not, if that person is unwilling to budge or talk about it or repent, uh, I think maybe we just need to uh, be willing to say, I'm not going to be a slanderer, but I will talk to mature Christians who can help give me counsel on my specific situation. Because I do realize that every family situation is a bit different. And it's not as if I have a 10-step response to every different scenario. Uh, and so if you're really struggling, find a, a mature biblical uh, friend, mentor, counselor that is able to help you in your specific situation. So I hope that helps. That's awesome. Great advice. Well, Susie, I love our time together and I'm just so thankful for the wisdom that you share with me and with the women who are listening. I can't wait to see who's getting those tickets. And if you enjoy this podcast, you will enjoy the content at the Rise Up Conference as well. Thank you for listening today, and we hope that you've been challenged and encouraged as we rebuild biblical womanhood from the foundation up. Mm-hmm.